Now I can say I'm happy to see you here. And welcome to the retreat. And I hope that it will be a valuable time for everyone. And even if at times you may find it difficult, remember it's the overcoming of difficulties which makes us strong. When it's easy, there is no strength gained. A retreat such as this is an inner journey, a journey towards our own inner being. We do it by ourselves, for ourselves. But the results will be noticeable in one's environment and wherever we touch upon others. But while we're doing it, it has to be strictly our own work and therefore we keep noble silence when we talk to others we're going outward we're connecting to another person through speech and our minds immediately become interested in the reply. We can't take an inner journey that way. We have to stay within ourselves. There will always be the opportunity to uh, ask questions here in the hall and there will be interviews for everyone and the possibility to um, discuss with those who give the interviews anything that comes up and of course if there are any other questions you know that Tony is there for you but do not have discussions amongst yourselves wait till the retreat is over and then you can discuss pro and con and how and why and we should and we shouldn't but while you're here just do it that's all that's needed it's the only thing that brings results doing it knowing it is a first step but doing it brings real results. I like to use the Noble Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path as a sort of um, overall topic for this first week of the retreat. Now, the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path 
one can say are not only the enlightenment statement of the Buddha but they're also the essence of his teaching which he then elaborated upon in many different ways and at different times and in different words but if we can have a real connection to that essence and practice it and know how to practice it then we can say that we are practicing the Buddha's teaching if we don't know the Four Noble Truths and don't know the Noble Eightfold Path of course we couldn't do that but even if we know them we're still not necessarily practicing them so during this first week of the course we're going to have a look at all the different steps and possibilities of practicing the essence of the Buddhist teaching the Dhamma even tonight I'm going to talk about briefly one of the steps on the Noble Eightfold Path so that you can immediately start your practice a week is very short and one really needs to make the best of every moment it's over with very quickly I'm not going to use the steps on the Noble Eightfold Path in their traditional order but rather in the order that we can find useful for practice here so the very first one that I'll mention and detail a little bit will be mindfulness right mindfulness is actually the seventh step on the Noble Eightfold Path but it's also very often the very first step on many of the Buddha's explanations and so it is the very first one of the seven factors of enlightenment so you see it doesn't matter whether you put it first or seventh it's essential the Buddha said it's so essential like salt to the curry we would say like salt in the food he said those who have mindfulness have happiness well that's appealing isn't it that's what we all want we want to be happy so let's try it via mindfulness and see if it works first thing what is mindfulness mindfulness is being here now paying absolute attention to that what really is not thinking about it not planning for it not remembering it resenting it reacting to it but just being right there it sounds simple 
And since all of you have already tried or practiced some meditation, you all know that it's not simple. It's difficult. Because if we could be here and now, at this moment, and nowhere else, we'd all be perfect meditators. And since we might have in mind to become perfect meditators, which would be useful to drop anyway, that idea, we do need to train the mind also outside of meditation. And this is the task of mindfulness, to keep the mind in check outside of the meditation periods. If we don't do that, we can't expect to have the mind in check during the meditation periods. We've only got the one mind. So if we allow, allow that one to do whatever it pleases, run all over the place, think of whatever it wants, and then expect it to be still and quiet and bring us peace and happiness when we sit on a little pillow, obviously that's an unrealistic expectation. So we need to have an approach to it outside of our meditation periods. The first and foremost of the foundations of mindfulness is mindfulness of the body. There are four that the Buddha recommended, four things to be aware of. Right now, we're going to just talk about mindfulness of the body because mindfulness of the body has often been said by the Buddha to be of the greatest importance. He said, who is not mindful of the body cannot experience the deathless. Well, the deathless means it's just another word for Nibbana, total freedom, and which is the goal of the teaching. But mindfulness of the body has advantages because we can see it, we can see the body, we can touch it, we can feel it. So there is a great advantage to using the body for mindful observation. How do we do that? We know when we sit down that we're sitting down. We know when we get up that we're getting up. We know when we step one foot in front of the other from our seat to the door. We know when we open the door. We know when we put on our shoes. We know when we take off our shoes. In fact, we know every movement we make. There are sort of involuntary movements, which are usually done in order to have more physical comfort. We need to know those too. 
Then there are those that are done because we have an intention, like going from one place to another, or getting dressed, or getting undressed, or eating. There's an intention behind that. The intention makes it a little easier to notice the movement. Why does the Buddha say that mindfulness brings happiness? If we're really attentive to what we're doing with the body, at that time we can't possibly have any problems. We can't possibly be hateful or have revenge or resentment or dislike, and we can't have any craving because we can't do two things at the same time. Our minds are very fast, like lightning. The Buddha said 3,000 mind moments in the blink of an eyelid. So we often have the idea that we are doing ten things at once, but we're not, one after the other, only very fast. So if we remain mindful, of the body movements, of our voluntary or involuntary movements, at that time there's also a purification process taking place. And purification of heart and mind is actually the essence of spirituality. And if we ever need to check out, which I think happens fairly frequently, whether a pathway which is offered is really a spiritual path or just another byway, see whether it purifies heart and mind. It's a very easy criteria. If it doesn't, you might as well forget about it. Because impure, that we can do without spirituality. We don't need any practice for that. We can always do it. But purification, that's a different story altogether. That's hard work. Now mindfulness is automatic. It's an automatic purification process. Not that we are mindful automatically, but the purification process is automatic. The minute we have our attention on what's actually happening, there's no way that we can use the mind in any other way. So that in itself already facilitates meditation. But also because in meditation we have to keep the mind on what is happening, namely the breath, and try not to have discursive thinking, not to think of external things, but be within. So the practice outside of meditation of being totally connected obviously facilitates our meditation practice. So those two, the purification process and the connection to ourselves and not our fantasizing in the mind what could be and what we'd like to be, those two make the meditation really possible. Mindfulness starts 
with the moment we open our eyes. Most people are not aware of the fact that they open their eyes in the morning. Check it out tomorrow morning and see whether you notice it, that you're opening your eyes. Or whether instead the mind says, oh, it can't be, I don't want to get up yet. It's opening the eyes. I don't want to is already a negativity. But knowing that we're opening our eyes is total attention. Then, moving out of the bed, going to the bathroom, so many movements that we can pay attention to. Getting dressed. Coming down here. Step by step. Instead of thinking, it's too early, or it's too late, it's too cold, or it's too warm, it's too windy, it's too rainy, none of it is mindfulness, all of it is opinion. Mindfulness is just straightforward knowing exactly what's happening. The more we practice that, Outside of meditation, the easier the meditation becomes. The more we practice that during meditation, the easier it is to practice it in daily living. If we practice this in daily living, we will find that everything we do becomes much easier. It's like oil being poured into the machinery and it moves much smoother. There's also no result thinking involved with mindfulness. We don't want to get anything out of it because the minute we start wanting to get something out of it we're no longer mindful to what's really happening. Each step that we take, each movement that we make is an object of mindfulness. This is the first, called the first foundation of mindfulness and I will also address the fourth one because that is too part of the meditation practice. They're all part of the meditation practice but the first and the fourth are the ones that need to be addressed now in order to get started on the right foot. When we pay attention to the breath as it comes in and out of the nostrils, that is mindfulness of the body. And as we pay attention to that, our mindfulness becomes stronger. It becomes more stable. And as it becomes more stable, we also have a chance to stabilize it during walking, eating, dressing. Eating is a very good opportunity for mindfulness of the body. There are many movements necessary. Picking up the plate, getting a spoon, dipping it in the food, filling the plate walking with the plate to the table, 
sitting down, putting the fork into the food, into one's mouth, tasting, chewing, swallowing. There's so much going on during the food, during eating. And yet, if you remember tomorrow morning at breakfast time, to try and be mindful of eating, you will find that the mind is somewhere else. Bring it back. Bring it back to eating. Eating is an important aspect of our lives. We can't keep the body alive without it. And it's not only necessary, it's also something which is quite time-consuming. Why not pay full attention? Full attention to that what is happening makes it possible to pay full attention in meditation. The two are totally connected. There's no way that we can do one without the other. Especially in a situation such as this, where we have silence, all you usually hear are the birds, sometimes the wind in the trees, and where everything is set up and geared to facilitate our pathway, our inner journey. When we are in our daily lives, it's much more difficult. If we haven't learned it during the retreat, it's almost impossible to learn it in daily living. Are far too many distractions. So it's an extremely helpful to use this time to the very best advantage and become aware of what it means to be a human being. Not what we'd like it to mean. Not what we'd hope it to mean. Not what we thought it would mean. Not what we've read about or heard about or fantasized about. No, what it really means. Being right there with it. We are the observers and we're also the laboratory. All we have to do is watch. The Buddha said, the whole of the universe, O monks, lies in this fathom-long body and mind. We can find the whole universe within us but we've got to pay undivided attention. Obviously, our attention will often be divided. It will not always be undivided. But when we notice that, that we're no longer paying attention, that means we can pay attention again. Being aware, totally aware of what's really going on, hones the mind. Buddha compared it to an axe that was well sharpened. If you have a blunt axe, it's very difficult to work with. Maybe nowadays people don't know very well what it is like to work with an axe. But in the Buddha's days it was a very important instrument. But you can imagine what it's like to work with a blunt axe. 
usually nothing happens at all or one hurts oneself but if one has a well sharpened blade one can cut through the thickest wood as if it were butter that's what our minds can become we can cut through the thickest illusion, delusion, ignorance with a well sharpened mind and this is how it starts with mindfulness paying attention to every step and when you try to do that you will notice without a doubt that the mind isn't willing to do exactly that so you have to bring it back again and again it's old habits the mind is not habitually mindful so our old habits are against it and also our constant interest in distraction we do want to be distracted we are actually afraid to meet ourselves so point blank that there's no escape from knowing ourselves so we like to be distracted notice it bring the mind back there's no need to be afraid we're all the same way this is what it means to be a human being meeting ourselves through mindfulness through bare attention is the best way to practice because then as we get to know ourselves in a way which has absolutely no escape then we can see what the Buddha really taught in meditation we're going to use the breath as our meditation subject at least to start out with if your practice in the past <clears throat> has been one where you are fully concentrated and have no distracting thoughts but can stay with your chosen meditation subject fully without any deviation by all means continue if that's not the case please follow my instructions when you get home you can throw it all overboard it's oh not even a week having come here follow my instructions and then when you get home do whatever you think is best we're going to use a breath as it comes in and out of the nostrils there is a, a reason for that because as we become more and more concentrated this can become a finer and <clears throat> finer and finer point and that's what we're after we're after one-pointedness we're after getting the mind to be truly sharpened if you sharpen a pencil you get a fine point to it that's what we're after so here 
with the uh, breath coming in and out of the nostrils that is possible when there are distracting thoughts and obviously there will be we label them now we label them in such a way that the very first label that comes to mind is the right one we don't start discussing with ourselves whether this label or that label would be better because then we have a new way of distraction labeling means that we look at the distracting thought and see it as either future or past planning hoping fantasizing remembering disliking dreaming being bored or of course one can also use nonsense which is very often very true it doesn't matter which label any label will do what happens in this case is the following first of all the one who labels becomes the observer and the observer is no longer the thinker and therefore the thought dissolves and one can go back to the meditation subject namely the breath obviously there will be other thoughts but that one has dissolved <coughs> the second thing is that one gets to know one's thought patterns because one will find that one is either constantly in the future or constantly planning or constantly hoping for something or daydreaming or remembering everybody has a pattern how to escape we learn to know our escape pattern and having known it it's much easier to combat it the third advantage is the fact that when we learn to label in meditation and then substitute the discursive thought with attention on the breath we can continue that outside of meditation and that's the fourth foundation of mindfulness first one the body fourth one content of mind what am i thinking now we can practice that here outside of meditation and we can very usefully take that with us into daily living there of course what happens is this that we have a clear understanding of the fact whether the content of our thought is wholesome or unwholesome and when it's unwholesome to learn to substitute with something wholesome this is the purification aspect of the mind in daily living if we don't do that we can't hope for good meditation we can't hope for happiness and we can't pretend to be on a spiritual path 
Not that we're always going to be successful to change our mind the way we want to, but unless we try, there is no way that we can say we're practicing. People often think that practicing means sitting on a little pillow, and that's it. That's only one part of it. A very essential part, of course. It has to go with it, but it's not the whole practice. It's trying to meditate. To be able to label the content of one thought in the meditation and then taking that with one outside of meditation makes it possible to recognize the fact that we are making ourselves happy or unhappy with our own thinking and that we don't have to believe every thought that we have we can substitute when we meditate and we label we will notice that so many of the thoughts are so to say half-baked they don't make much sense they're totally immaterial they're totally unimportant that's another label unimportant immaterial not necessary and having seen that in meditation how wonderful to see that in daily life then we don't have to run after every thought that we've had and try to implement it with action or implemented with reaction it's just a thought as soon as it has come it's gone again but it may leave the residue of our own reactions and that's how we are quite capable of making ourselves very unhappy with our thinking process so we're going to try to reverse that and try to make ourselves very happy by recognizing the thoughts outside of meditation which are negative, unproductive, destructive and substituting same as we do in meditation in meditation all the, uh, the distracting thoughts are unproductive so we try to substitute all of them with attention on the breath in daily living it's just the unwholesome ones the negative ones that are unproductive doing that as a meditation practice is a very important aspect of actually changing the quality of our life in daily living because we live according to the way we think and react it's not necessary to label if the thoughts are like clouds going so to say in the back of the head and one has the idea that one is still on the breath but there are some thoughts which are sort of floating by and they don't have any solidity at all that one could even name that's neighborhood concentration that's upachara samadhi and when that is already established 
and if one has practiced long enough, there's no reason why it shouldn't be established, then labeling would only be disturbing. Then more, a little more willpower is needed to actually let mind and breath be one. But that's only for those who have already through their past practice come to that point where they have the idea and the feeling as if they are on the breath constantly and yet in the back there are still some fragments of thought coming up. Then not to label. As long as the thoughts are solid and are really dis uh, disturbing the meditation, so long it's important to label. Now when we're mindful outside of meditation, the first priority is mindfulness of the body. Then if the thought process becomes very active and there's a very clear thinking going on, then of course the mind will revert to that and be attentive to that and no longer to the body. Then it becomes important to recognize wholesome or unwholesome, negative or positive. Do I need to substitute or is this helpful and supportive for my practice, what I'm thinking? We're going to use crutches for the mind to stay with the breath. The mind has, as everybody knows who's ever tried to meditate, the unfortunate tendency to do everything else except meditate. So we need a few crutches. The first possibility is to count. One on the in-breath, one on the out-breath. Two on the in-breath, two on the out-breath. No more than ten. Whenever there is a distracting thought and a labeling, back to one. It's not useful to start thinking, where was I? Four or six? I must have been nine already, at least. Hmm? Always back to one. We don't have to prove anything. We just have to become aware of what there is. So, that's one, way, one possibility, counting. But if one doesn't particularly like numbers, one can use a word. Peace. Peace on the in-breath, peace on the out-breath. One can use two words, two one-syllable words, like peace on the in-breath, love on the out-breath. It's more advantageous to just use one word. But if the mind is very distractive, uh, distracted, maybe two words will be helpful. So, let's say peace on the in-breath, peace on the out-breath. If one doesn't like that, and the mind is very visually inclined, that's for those who are really see everything in pictures, or maybe even in technicolor, we can use an ocean wave. Ocean wave 
that comes in with the breath, an ocean wave that goes out with the breath. We can make it bright blue with silver foam on top if our mind is that way inclined. That's only for those whose mind naturally tends toward visualization. If we have to try to visualize, that's already distracting. The fourth possibility, sensation. The uh, wind of the breath, as it touches the nostril, creates a physical sensation. We become aware of that physical sensation together with the breath, and then can become aware of other sensations as the breath goes into the body in the nose, in the forehead, in the throat, in the lungs, coming in and the same way going out. Not looking for sensation, but just being aware of any physical sensation that is together with the in-breath and the out-breath. And for those who have practiced longer, it's possible to use a fifth possibility namely beginning middle end of each breath beginning middle end of the in breath beginning middle end of the out breath the difficulty is to notice the beginning and the end because they are very close together so that is only possible if one has practiced already and has had mindfulness established at least to some extent. I'm going to repeat counting or word like peace or a visualization like an ocean wave coming in with the breath going out or the sensation that's created by the breath or beginning, middle, end of the breath. I'd like you all to choose one of those crutches and stick to it till tomorrow after breakfast. And then, if you want to try another one, please do. But believe me, it's not the fault of the method. It's the mind. Any method will do. And this is another thing that you might find helpful to know. The reason we find it difficult to concentrate, the reason we find it difficult to stop the discursive thinking is because when the mind is not thinking, we have no support system for the fact that we are really here. And so when we stop thinking and are just strictly aware, and we can all do that, after a very short period, the mind starts bringing up thoughts again. We have only that way of proving <clears throat> to ourselves that we are really here. We are proving our ego illusion at that time 
because when we're thinking there is it's quite clear that that's me or when we're not thinking where's me all of a sudden nothing <coughs> keep that in mind you might even tell yourself when you start the meditation or tell the ego when you start your meditation it's all right to just rest for ten minutes it can come back in full force after you're finished with the meditation it might be helpful who knows knowing that particular hindrance can be helpful in overcoming it at the beginning of meditation one should make a determination not result thinking but a determination i've come here to meditate presumably one can investigate that and i'm going to try and give my very best that's all not hoping for another day for another hour for another time but now this is the moment i've come here to meditate i'm going to try my very best and then to drop all that the other thing which can be helpful is then after having made that determination to have a feeling of love and gratitude towards the breath that is keeping us alive we don't have to take it for granted because it's our life's foundation without that bit of air coming in and going out we couldn't continue to live so having that kind of heart connection to the breath can be extremely helpful to stay concentrated or become concentrated it's not just the mind that's supposed to be there let the heart be there too once you've done that have uh, become aware of the fact that there's a great deal of love and gratitude due to the breath get a different feeling for it one gets a little more interested in it one can only really meditate when one is interested in it so that might be helpful the other thing we'll talk about aches and pains in the meditation at another time but just about the sitting posture we try to sit in a way which we think we can keep for the period of the meditation it doesn't matter how we put our legs just so that we can stay that way ideally for the whole time with the least discomfort the buddha said 
that in order to meditate, mind and body have to be comfortable. Now, mind you, that doesn't mean lying down. Because if it were possible, then we could all meditate instead of sleep. But it doesn't work that way. It just means that we sit in a disciplined posture with a relaxed stance, but try to make it so that there is the least discomfort possible. The back should be straight, but relaxed. The shoulders, we can drop on purpose. Really know that we've dropped them. Relax the neck, relax the stomach. We keep the eyes closed, the hands in the lap or on the knees, doesn't matter. And when the mind says, I can no longer sit this way. Be aware of that. Don't impulsively move. I'll elaborate on that at another time. But be aware of this. And then try to go back to the breath and not react to that word, to those words of the mind that says, I don't want to sit this way. And having tried a few times if you then move move gently move gently so that you don't disturb your own mind too much and the mind of the neighbor and not impulsively not every time there's uh, discomfort because the body has unfortunately the tendency to be uncomfortable very easily So try to see whether instead of moving immediately you can go back to the breath and try to do that as often as you can and then move gently. I would like to explain also the walking meditation to you. And having explained that, then we'll do a short meditation together and then a loving-kindness meditation. And uh, then after having had quite a long day for all of us, we'll go to bed and try again in the morning. The walking meditation is an important aspect of the meditative practice. It helps us also to learn mindfulness of the body because walking is an activity that we do a lot of in daily life. So if we learn walking meditation, which means being totally attentive to the movement in walking, it helps us also to do the same in daily life. So when we do the walking meditation, which you can do, of course, outside, but you can also use a big hall, which is um, right over there next to the um, bookshop where you registered, if you want to do it inside. When you do it inside the hall, you will have to be 
attentive to the fact that you all move in the same direction which means not one going lengthways and the others going this way because you're constantly going to intersect with each other so I would suggest that if you go inside the hall and do the walking meditation there that you all go from this end to that end and back and forth so the, the shorter way not the very long way so that they're not intersecting with each other if you do it outside you get yourself an area a walking path which should be about 20 paces long 20-25 paces long and you mark it to yourself maybe with a stone at the beginning a stone at the end or a little hedge or whatever there is as a um, landmark which is your walking path because walking meditation is not taking a walk it's just using walking as your focus of attention so outside you make yourself a walking path and in the hall you all go from this side to that side that's the other hall this one we're keeping for sitting okay it's a, the big hall for walking I'd like you to use a six-point movement. It's a little more difficult than a three-point one, and it requires a little more mindfulness and attention. But I think it'd be very helpful in establishing mindfulness. So the way that works is that you raise the heel, and then you raise the foot, then you lift the foot then you put it forward then you put the heel down and the foot down so in other words there are two movements to get the foot up first the heel then the foot then there are two in the air up and forward and two coming down so you can in the beginning count one two three four five six after a little while you don't need to do that if you only get five movements you lost one somewhere on the way doesn't matter even five's all right but it's better to make it six it's a much more detailed attention and because of that detail you get to know what mindfulness really is mindfulness is also attention to detail if one hasn't got attention to detail one has no mindfulness attention to detail is a, a typical aspect of mindfulness that's why I'd like you to use a six-point movement so I'll, I'll repeat that once more lift the heel lift the foot the foot is still on the ground but you lift it then gets up in the air goes forward in the air comes down on the heel goes down on the, on the ground the second foot only lifts when the first one is fully on the ground so that you don't have two movements only one to be attentive to hands should be clasped in front or in back so that they don't dangle about and distract eyes should be open and down they automatically go down in front of the moving foot if, it, if, if one watches the foot that's distracting 
If one do- doesn't put one's eyes down, one will be distracted by the scenery. It's very beautiful here. So, eyes down. And if it's warm enough, which it hasn't been, it is also helpful to do walking meditation barefoot. One has a stronger connection when one is barefoot. One feels it better. And that's all it is, actually. We feel the movement. So, if it's too cold, of course, it's not useful. But should it be warm enough, maybe during the day, it can be very helpful to establish concentration. Now, that's the walking meditation, which you will be doing tomorrow between the two sits in the morning. And then you can also use it later in your individual meditation time. The sitting meditation I've already explained. The labeling. Now, in the walking meditation, if the mind gets totally distracted, labeling is also helpful. But another thing can be helpful in walking meditation when you get distracted. And that's standing still for a moment. Collecting oneself again. And starting all over again. Because if one starts thinking and not paying real attention, it can very easily happen that one's doing walking meditation for 20 minutes and hasn't really paid attention. Because it's very easy to walk. We all know how to do it. Just as it's easy to breathe, we all know how to do it. And we can sit a whole hour not paying proper attention. So it's very helpful to stop in the walking. Start again. And again, it's helpful to stand still when you start for a moment and say to yourself, I'm here to meditate. I'm going to give my best. And be grateful that all your limbs are in order, that you can walk without any difficulty. We all take that for granted until the moment comes when we can't. And then it's a tragedy. Be thankful now. And then you'll like it much better to walk through the walking meditation. In order to start, we'll put the attention on the breath once more for just a few moments. And now, think of yourself as your own best friend. How does a best friend feel? Loving and helpful. 
caring and concerned. Embrace yourself as your own best friend. who's willing to look after you establish a loving relationship with yourself feeling the warmth of friendship for yourself And now be the best friend of the person sitting nearest you, letting the warmth of friendship reach out to that person, caring and concerned, loving and connected. Now think of yourself as the best friend of your parents. The one who wants to help. Who has that heart connection of sincere friendship. this warmth of your friendship reach out to your parents' heart so they can feel that you have this close connection to them a gift from your heart
Think of those people who are nearest and dearest to you, those you might live with, and be their best friend. Caring and helpful. Accepting. Loving and concerned. Embrace them as their best friend without expecting the same in return. Think of all your good friends. Let them arise before your mind's eye. And then let each of them know that you are their best friend. Willing to help. Accepting them. Caring for them. Wishing them well. Let this heart connection reach out to each of your friends. Now think of those people whom you meet in your daily life. Neighbors at home, people at work, people in the shops, in offices, postmen, anyone who comes to your mind who is part of your daily life. And be each one's best friend. Embrace them as their best friend. Let them know how you feel about them. That you care and are concerned.
Now think of anyone whom you find difficult or whom you've been angry at or has been angry at you or whom you reject or resent and realize that this is a blockage in your own heart be that best friend too recognizing their difficulties and willing to help and to care and to be concerned about that person's well-being forgiving and forgetting embrace that person too in friendship now let your heart grow and expand and allow as many people to find shelter in it and friendship in it as possible first let all those people in who are present here so that can, they can experience the love and friendship in your heart then think of the people in your hometown let all those in whom you know whom you might have seen or only heard of be their best friend too let them all experience the gift from your heart Now let all those people in whom you may know or have seen somewhere or have only heard about 
You can feel how your heart expands and makes room for many more people so that you can be their best friend. Now put your attention back on yourself and recognize the joy that comes from loving and giving and the peace that results from the purity of heart. See how that means, being one's own best friend, and embrace yourself as your own best friend, feeling at ease and protected. May people everywhere be friends with each other. The Buddha said one has many benefits from loving kindness. And the first three are, one goes to sleep happily, one dreams no evil dreams, and one wakes happily. I hope that you all go to sleep happily and wake happily. Wish you a good night.